Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Jack, the coach Armstrong, longtime broadcast analyst for your Toronto Raptors. Jack has been described as the gravel-voiced instructor for a generation of Canadian NBA fans. In moving from a coaching career to a broadcasting career, Jack overnight went from being an idiot to an expert, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to his explanation of that. As he gears up for a new Raptors season, I am very pleased that Jack is joining us today. Welcome, Jack, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, Andrew, thank you for having me, and uh, I'm doing great. I'm in uh, Montreal today, so bonjour. Uh, bonjour. And uh, Raptors play the Celtics tonight, so I'm working that game on TSN TV. So uh, early morning, up early, uh, getting prep done for the game and uh, getting ready to go. Long day ahead. So, uh, but it'll be fun and uh, happy to be on with you. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. We are into a new NBA season. How was your off season though? Did you enjoy your summer? I had a really nice summer. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting when you look at the NBA now and, and sports in general, as, as much as there is an off season, there isn't. It's it's uh, it's nonstop in terms of uh, the intensity by which our league is covered, kind of like the NFL. You know, all the Kevin Durant stuff this summer and the rumors, you know, with Toronto being involved and all that. And uh, so it just it, uh, so you get away from it. And it's it's good to do that to kind of recharge your batteries. But nonetheless, it's uh, it's become a 12 month thing. And uh, there's so much interest in our sport, which is uh, obviously a great thing. Absolutely. Now, just like the players, Jack, do you have to gear up? Is this your preseason training camp as well? What do you do to gear up for a new season? Uh, you know, actually, it is a little bit. Uh, what I try to do is uh, obviously uh, really study the other teams and kind of get a sense of what what's, uh, the pulse is around the league for those teams. And then uh, your own team, the Raptors, uh, just trying to, uh, get to a few practices, watch what they're doing, trying to get a sense of the vibe, you know, really uh, the ins and outs of, of what they're going to look like and what what their points of emphasis are and the style of play that they want to play. Uh, the good thing about the NBA is the fact that, you know, even though there's a lot of change, there's still six, seven, eight guys on a roster from the year before. In, in the case of the Raptors, uh, there's a significant number returning. So that helps a little bit because, you know, it's not as extensive in terms of getting to know. Uh, I, I've seen Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet and OG Ananobi for a number of years now. So I kind of know them and know what their game is. And, and that helps a lot. And even something as relatively simple as name pronunciation. You got a whole crew, at, a new season of NBA players. You got to figure out their names, Jack. Yep. And uh, I'll leave that to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And you're a smart man. Now you're in, we did catch you in Montreal, as you mentioned, but the Queenston-Lewiston Bridge is very near and dear to your heart. Please describe the unique geographic location of your residence and, and why you love that bridge. Well, uh, obviously I live in Lewiston, New York, so... I'm constantly going back and forth from uh, Lewiston to Toronto. I mean, my backyard is the Niagara River. Uh, I wake up every morning and look at Niagara-on-the-Lake, uh, Queenston, Niagara-on-the-Lake. So it's a, it's a great area to live, the Niagara region. And, uh, you know, the good thing for me is I'm not uh, commuting and working nine to five every day. It's a different 
if I did that, I couldn't pull it off. Uh, but I'm going in off hours, uh, both the way in and coming home that late at night. So it, it, it's doable. I've been doing it now. This is my 25th season calling Raptor games. And uh, I'm very familiar with every exit and, and every uh, kilometer mile post uh, on the QEW. And I've dealt with all sorts of crazy weather uh, going back and forth in the winter. But uh, it's been great. Uh, I, I, you, know, you know, the house that I live in is the same house I lived in uh, when I coached at Niagara University. So to be able to uh, – I'm a big believer, you know, from my previous life as a coach – it's kind of like a vagabond existence, and it's hard to put down roots. And to me, I think it's really important, uh, if, you, if you can, for your family, uh, to try to keep it as uh, consistent and steady and, and plant some roots. And I feel good about the fact that my kids were able to uh, live their whole life in one house and, uh, and, and have a little bit of uh, consistency to it because – you know, there's there's a lot of uh, movement going on in our business. Stability is certainly underappreciated, and certainly it's a good thing to have. You've been able to do that. Let's go back with your permission all the way. Get the Jack Armstrong story. Where were you born? And describe your upbringing. Uh, I was born in uh, Brooklyn, New York. I'm the uh, youngest of four boys, uh, Irish immigrants. I'm first generation. My parents both. Uh, immigrated to the United States. Uh, I think my dad in the late 40s, my mom in the late 40s, early 50s. And, you know, so pretty humble up, upbringing. Uh, my, my dad passed away when I was seven. And my mom raised four boys in a little apartment building in Brooklyn. And uh, anytime I speak, and my mom's 95, literally up in Montreal today on a Friday, I spent the early part of the week visiting her. She's 95, lives on her own. She's doing great. I always say when I speak, uh, you know, people always ask you who your hero is. I always say I got one. That's my mom uh, mm. raising four boys, you know, and she was a uh, very hardworking. She was a, a school lunch lady at PS 238 in Brooklyn. And uh, so I, I feel uh, very blessed uh, to have someone like that in my life. And, and my brothers, uh, we, we all had a, a great uh, role model to show us uh, the way. And, uh, you know, obviously growing up in New York at the time I did, uh, it was a it was a difficult place at times to, you know, uh, to to kind of navigate your way through life. And, and I think she was uh, one that helped us uh, go the right way. Uh, there's a lot of kids, unfortunately, that don't. And uh, but I think uh, having her in our life uh, has really been uh, absolute blessing. Well, it's fantastic. And is she able to enjoy your performances today, Jack? Does she have the cable package to watch uh, Raptor basketball? Well, she watches sometimes. Uh, she's, I wouldn't say she watches all the time, but uh, whatever she can get the games, um, she enjoys it. And then like when we play the Knicks and Nets, uh, their broadcasters are nice enough to give her a shout out. Mike Breen and Ian Eagle, Kenny Albert, those guys that are always great. Uh, giving her a shout out on TV when she's watching the Raptors, Knicks, and that's when I'm home in New York. So it's always fun. That's fantastic. Now, Jack, you apparently started coaching high school basketball as a 19-year-old. Is that accurate? Yes, I didn't play in college. And so I went back and coached at my high school and, um, you know, really feel like, you know, in any career, you got to jump in head first and do it. 
So I was really lucky to be able to have the opportunity to go back. And, and I coached at Nazareth High School in Brooklyn. Uh, and then I, I, I coached there for two years and then uh, went on to coach as an assistant at Fordham University in the Bronx for four years. And then obviously I was at Niagara University for 10 years. So, you know, I jumped into it early. Uh, I would travel every summer, six, seven, eight, nine weeks a summer going around uh, the United States to different basketball camps and working at camps. And, you know, at night you'd sit around with other coaches and talk basketball and X's and O's and watch video and just, you know, you learn a lot. And then, you know, obviously just paying your dues and getting to know people and uh, really uh, just uh, I, I'm a big believer in, in that you don't put a, a financial value on something. What you do is you put a, a value of, the experiences that you're getting and uh, the, you know, the, the rewards will come many, many years later. Well, as you say, Fordham University is your alma mater. You graduated with a master's in communication. Was your original plan to teach history and coach high school ball? Or were you already involved in coaching while you were a student at Fordham? Well, obviously, I was a student at Fordham and I was coaching. Uh, so uh, kind of a little bit of both. I got my master's degree in communications with no intention of ever doing what I'm doing now. Uh, the only reason I got my master's in communications was, is that it fit our practice schedule. <laughs> so the classes, the classes just worked around our, our, our schedule. So they say, Hey, we'll pay for your master's. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, but no, all I ever wanted to be was a high school basketball coach. And I loved history. I can tell you when the war of 1812 was. And, uh, <laughs> Good. Uh, but no, I, I um, you know, so then when you're at the college level, uh, that was great. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, I never in my wildest dreams would ever think that I'd be doing this right now. Here I am starting my 25th season with the Raptors. And, uh, but honestly, never, I, I just always felt that I would coach and coach my whole life. Uh, it, it's been an incredible journey and two different careers. And uh, I, I always say when I speak, I can't thank that orange ball enough from the you know time I was probably seven years old growing up in Brooklyn uh, playing ball. You know, the memories that you have of, of, of all that and the friendships that you make and the opportunities that, that come your way because you're around the game is just absolutely remarkable. I was out to dinner with three of my friends that, that I grew up with in Brooklyn playing ball and um, uh, when I was in New York the other night, you know, I can't thank that orange ball enough because sports brought us together. And uh, I, I recommend that to every kid that, uh, you know, there's so many positives of playing sports uh, and it not only builds character, it reveals it. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn how you handle failure. You learn how you handle success and uh, you're going to have a lot, a lot of both, but it's, it's how you react to it and how you come through it. So many life lessons. And Jack, when you talk about memories, when you go all the way back, you're an assistant coach at Fordham University. What were the Fordham U road trips like back then? <laughs> well, you know, I worked for two great coaches and Tom Penders and Nick McCarchick uh, at Fordham. Uh, Tom ended up going to coach at the University of Texas. He's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, so, you know, we, uh, it was, it, it was great. I mean, I'll never forget the first game I ever coached in was, uh, 
uh, as an assistant at the time, we played North Carolina. They were a top 10 team at North Carolina. You know, Dean Smith was the head coach, and on that staff was Roy Williams, Bill Guthridge, Eddie Fogler, all, you know, guys that uh, ended up, uh, you know, uh, 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 Roy and, and uh, Bill Guthridge ended up coaching Carolina, and then obviously Eddie had a great run himself. So, but to have that, to jump right in, and, you know, you, so to, to think of all the different teams that you played and, and, and the people that you met along the way, um, you know, and, and, and a place like Fordham, it's, it's still the oldest on-campus facility in college basketball, uh, the Rose Hill Gym. So you didn't play a lot of uh, home games. You had to go play on the road. Uh, you know, we would play like a marquee game at Madison Square. We'd play a few games a year at Madison Square Garden mm. or at the time the Meadowlands, uh, which was in New Jersey, the Brendan Byrne Arena. But uh, a lot of times you had to go on the road to get good competition. And uh, to the credit of uh, Tom and Nick, they were willing to go play wherever and whoever. And I understand that at times, Jack, you were the bus driver and that uh, f fine dining was the White Castle. <laughs> well, that's when I uh, – Fordham had a JV team. And um, so I was the head coach of that. Uh, so that was a great opportunity. What they would do is uh, you would have a group of guys that uh, – obviously weren't playing uh, for the for the varsity team that would play JV. And then for every game, one of our scholarship players didn't play in, uh, you know, usually a freshman or sophomore, they were eligible to play uh, a JV game. So uh, it gave me an opportunity to be a head coach. Uh, I, you know, I coached my own team in high school, but to be able to coach. And we would play against like uh, Columbia's JV team or NYU or, uh, you know, you know, a team like that, uh, one of those, uh, or some elite prep schools or the junior colleges in the area. So it was a, it was a great opportunity. And uh, I, yeah, I used to have to drive the uh, school van. Uh, here I am, I'm 21, 22 years old. And I'm driving, you know, they're all guys a few years younger than me and I'm coaching them. And uh, clearly there was no budget. So uh, we would, yeah, we would drop by McDonald's <laughs> Or White Castle, uh, that that was our pregame, postgame meal. So, uh, uh, fine breakfast fine, of champions, fine dining. Let's just say that. <laughs> now, Jack, as you alluded and talked about, you spent a decade as the men's basketball coach at Niagara University in Lewiston, New York, starting in 1989, the Purple Eagles. At just 26, you were the youngest coach in NCAA Division One basketball at the time. And in 1993, you were named the MAC and New York State Division I Head Coach of the Year. But by your own admission, you were not always happy being a coach. Why? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, I love being a coach, uh, but losing sucks, you know, and failure sucks. Uh, I would say I was uh, incredibly passionate and intense, uh, emotional. Um, and I, 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 you know, I don't know if... That comes out as much uh, on the air now as a broadcaster. I, I kind of find myself to be just happy all the time because this is a great job that I have. But back then, you know, there's just uh, there's a lot of you're constantly dealing with adversity, stress, problems, issues, and there's a lot of, of moving parts. So I, I you know, I, I think it's a, it was a great education. 
And coaching is a job that wears on you. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, you, know you, you look in, uh, <clears throat> to me, university life, professors are able to take a sabbatical uh, at a few different times during their uh, academic career. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the coaching side of it, you know, they look at you, quote unquote, as an educator. And yet, you know, you, know, you would never even think of, of, of taking a sabbatical. Um, but I do think that uh, it's a really uh, it, it, look, the money is so much different than when I coached. And a lot of my friends that are still in coaching, uh, you know, uh, went from a humble background and, and doing it for the love of the game. And I, and I still think they're doing it for the love of the game. But the money's so big now, the dynamics of what goes on around it have changed dramatically. So uh, I loved what I did. It was fun. But there were also times where uh, it, it just took a lot out of you. And um, when I left coach, you know, when I got fired in 1998 and, and got hired by the Raptors, I thought I was going to do the Raptor gig for one year kind of like a sabbatical year, recharge my batteries and then go back into coaching. And you know what? Thank God I didn't. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a much more of a fun existence and a job than uh, the one uh, I did have. And I love, look, I loved every bit of it, the relationships, the, the highs, the lows, everywhere in between. I, I just, I have a lot of uh, comp compassion and respect for the job that coaches in every sport have to do, uh, because it's it's uh, it's not easy, and uh, I think the uh, the agendas and the focus of today's parent, today's um, athlete, social media, uh, the internet, all that, it makes it uh, a much more pressurized uh, thing. And quite frankly, I think there are times where people don't have as much fun. You know, mm -hmm. it's more of a business mentality than it is the actual fun and the entertainment value and, and the joy of being part of a team and competing. Well, the stress of the coaching profession is certainly all-consuming. You've said that your coaching per personality is not your natural personality. So it seems like you got yourself back in a way by being able to pivot from coaching to broadcasting. Yeah, you know, like I, I would say um, – I've always been a happy, upbeat, glasses half full, fun, gregarious type person. And I, I was that way when I coached. I was uh, enthusiastic and personable and relatable and all that. Uh, tried to be uh, myself. And, you know, your authenticity is very important. What you see is what you get. And people see through BS. So I, I've always tried to be, put myself out there and good, bad or indifferent. Here I am and take it for what it's worth. So, uh, but I, I do think that, you know, the coaching lifestyle, it, it's such a, a, a roller coaster uh, and takes you on so many different uh, journeys and uh, so many highs and lows. Uh, I find that uh, what I do now, uh, there's, there's a more predictability to it. We have a job to do. Uh, you call the game, win, lose, or draw. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any impact in terms of whether the game was won or lost. So there's a part of that that is uh, comforting and relaxing. And then there's a part of it that you say, well, I don't get to experience the highest of highs or the lowest of lows anymore. I'm more kind of uh, centered. 
So you try to find joy in different ways uh, in the job that you do. And uh, I feel very fortunate to have been able to find that space where uh, I'm able to be joyful and have fun with what I do. I really appreciate the support of the people I work with and work for. Uh, they've allowed me, I wouldn't say a blank canvas, nobody has that, but a, mm -hmm. a pretty you know, pretty good uh, runway in terms of, hey, be yourself and, you know, be yourself and call it like you see it. And um, I think that's really important um, to be able to, uh, I, you know, I look, I look at my job as, you know, my job as an analyst is to tell you why did that happen? How did that happen? Frame it, uh, give you a teaching point um, and get you reflect on, um, you know, how you're seeing the game and experiencing the game and then have fun doing it. Uh, I'm not solving any world problems here. Uh, I'm a basketball analyst. So uh, to me, if, if you can, if you can do your job and have fun with it and provide the goods, uh, I think that's really important. You know, and I, I look around and I, um, I'm a big sports fan. So I watch other sports and I have my favorite analysts and um, in terms of how they do their job. And you always look and say, am I doing my job uh, to that level? And how can I improve and those types of things? But it's it's a it's it's a great, great gig. And again, I've been very fortunate to work with some wonderful people. Well, as you know, Jack, the old saying is once a coach, always a coach. If you got a phone call today from a Division One college basketball program, would you take that call for a coaching job? Uh, I'd listen, uh, but I would say I would not coach. Uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, you, you, you would absolutely respectfully listen, uh, but I would respectfully decline. Now, if they want to pay me three million dollars a year, then maybe I'll do it, and I hope. And then I'm hoping every day that they fire me and pay me off, and then I'll sit on a beach with a little uh, uh, drink with an umbrella in it and smoke a cigar and live, you know, live my life happily ever after, which is is completely unrealistic. But nonetheless, uh, that you know, you know, and with with that, you know, we I joke about it, but you know, the the salaries are insane. Uh, but you know, they're commensurate with what money is being made in the market. Uh, if, you know, if you if you look at uh, the highest profile uh, college coaches, uh, well, their programs are taking in a fortune, so they should get a little sliver of that. And at the same, and, and obviously, I, I see what's going on now in college athletics with uh, name, image, and likeness, and I think it's great for players to to benefit from that as well. They should have been a long time ago. So uh, to me, I, I I think it's a a, a job that. Uh, you do deserve to be uh, uh, rewarded for it. Uh, so, but I feel like I'm in the right lane right now. I feel like I'm in the right profession for where I am in my life and what I've done in my careers uh, and my background. Hey, Toronto. When you drink beer, you want to drink quality local beer. And when you listen to podcasts, you want to listen to quality local podcasts. That's why Toronto Legends has partnered with the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture, just like this podcast. You can try this month's limited edition beer, The Market, inspired by Kensington Market, at their taproom and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path, 
or order now at hendersonbrewing.com. Well, let's talk about that, Lane. Congratulations, as you say. 25th season coming up, covering the Raptors. How did you originally get this gig back in 1998? How did this all come about, Jack? Well, uh, I got fired, you know, so that's the, that's, that's, that's the first thing. Uh, and then uh, the Raptors had an opening for radio analysts. Obviously, I live an hour and 20 minutes from Toronto uh, when you're the head coach at Niagara University. Uh, you know, kind of like St. Bonaventure and Canisius. Uh, you know, there is a degree of name recognition in the region of southern Ontario and western New York and upstate New York. Uh, so, you know, th there was some familiarity that I had. And I had, you know, Canadian players on my team and I recruited extensively across Canada. Um, so I was familiar. And, um, I, I, you know, at the time they had an opening and, you know, literally they hired Chuck Swirsky and I 25 years ago uh, to be the radio play-by-play -play team. And then eventually both of us uh, kind of segued into, into television in, in different in dribs and drabs along the way. Um, but it's been great. And uh, I, I feel very, very fortunate to have had that opportunity. And I joke, I heard you joke about it earlier. You know, you go from idiot to expert. It, you know, it's, I, I call it sports version of white collar crime. We're putting ex-coaches who've been fired on television. And, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's funny, like uh, I used to do a lot of college basketball on television as well in my early years as a broadcaster. And I would have people from, uh, you know, I'd do a Niagara game and these same people that want to be fired uh, now are coming up to me saying, hey, shouldn't that coach be doing uh, this out of a timeout or run this play. And I'm like, you know, it, that's my point. You go from idiot to expert. So it, it's a it's a great job. I try not to take myself too seriously. I know I was 100 and 154 as a coach. Um, far from perfect. I do try to first guess as much as possible. And I, you know, I try, I try to stay away from second guess. Occasionally you have to do that. Uh, but you try to uh, say... In, in your mind, what you think, uh, how something maybe should play out uh, before it happens, and you put yourself out there a little bit. But again, the whys, the hows, frame it, give me a teaching point, do it with enthusiasm and energy, and uh, and try your best to, to have fun with it. So um, again, I'm far from perfect. I, I, I feel very confident and really good about the fact, you know, I heard this statement not too long ago, there's a big difference between broccoli and Skittles. And okay. my point is, I think when you pay your dues, uh, that's the broccoli. Uh, the Skittles is when uh, things get handed to you and things are, it's that sugar high. And, you know, I mentioned before, I did college basketball for a long time. I spent a lot of time away uh, in my early years transitioning into a new career. And I give my wife, Dina, such incredible uh, props and thanks for how supportive she was raising three kids as I transitioned from one career to another. And my wife was a division one coach in two sports. She was a uh, women's head soccer coach at Niagara. She was a women's basketball assistant. And uh, so she knew how important it was for me to get established in this new career. And that means you have to take every single solitary opportunity that comes your way. So uh, I might have a Raptor game on a, 
uh, Friday night, and then on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m., I'm on a flight to Philadelphia to call, uh, you know, St. Joe's and LaSalle. And I'm on a flight Saturday night back, and then I'm in Toronto doing a game on Sunday. And then Monday, uh, I'm in a car driving four hours to do a college game. So so when I do what I do now, I feel like there's a rhyme and reason to what I do, and there's a, a, a style that I have. But the way you do that is you got to go out there and you have to do a lot of games. You got to get a lot of reps. You got to fail. You got to work with different play-by-play people. You have to work with different sideline people. You have to work with a different producer, a different director, with different trucks. Uh, Bill Rafter, he said to me one time, he says, you always have to know how the truck works. Uh, It's a team effort. It's not just you out there. So I feel like in 25 years, uh, working both television and radio, uh, and all the different personalities along the way, uh, you kind of learn a, a lot of uh, the nuances of, of you know, what it means to be an analyst and what it means to be a good analyst. And uh, I feel very confident that when I go to work and I go into a building uh, to call a game, that uh, I have two careers work in the game basketball but more importantly i have a lot of uh reps under my belt a lot of broccoli that's been eaten along the way (laughs) and it's not like i'm some star quarterback who is a great player who automatically gets the big chair right off the bat you know there's dues that need to be paid and some guys don't have to pay them you know some Mm -hmm. guys are on lifetime scholarship uh and that's okay uh i i had to go the other way and uh, I'm proud of the path that I took, and I'm proud. Of, and I feel like uh, I feel confident that uh, when a, when a big game's there to be played, uh, I'll be ready to meet the moment. Absolutely, and you're of course beloved in Toronto. You have to tell us the origin of your key catchphrases, uh, if you can identify when you first uh, started them. Well, uh, get that garbage out of here was, uh, you know, growing up in the schoolyards of Brooklyn, you know, you'd block someone, someone would block your shot, you'd block theirs. Most of the time it was my shot getting blocked. And people would say, get that blank and blank out of here. Obviously, you can't say that on television. Uh, years ago, we were um, on the road. I think it might have been Orlando. And uh, one of our players had a big a block. And it was in the critical moment of the game. I just went nuts. I said, get that. I was about to say the wrong words. Then mm-hmm. I just said, garbage, out of here. <laughs> I don't know how garbage came. I don't know where it came from, but it just off the top of my head. And our director at the time, Troy Clara, who's now the director for the Toronto Blue Jays games, and he pressed the button and said, Jackie, that's pure gold. Stick with that. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, that's a great <laughs> He goes, you should use that on block shots. So then, you know, we're after the game, we're having a beer. And he says it to me again. He goes, he goes, it, it really matched the moment. It met the moment. Uh, so I, that, that, you know, that was one. And then hello is uh, about being offensive to anybody. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, one of those things that uh, years ago in Brooklyn, you know, you'd see a, a beautiful woman walk by and you'd go, Hello. Like, wow, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm impressed. Uh, so the hello, you know, when I use that is kind of like when I see a play that's really exciting 
that like, wow, take catches my eye. I say hello. Or now, obviously, here I am in Montreal today. I have a game tonight. Uh, the fact that we have a few uh, players from Quebec on a team. And uh, uh, so I've used the uh, bonjour, you know, hello, all the same thing. So uh, it's fun. I literally got off the plane yesterday here in Montreal. The guy, guy walks right up to me and goes, hey, bonjour. <laughs> and he was saying, because he goes, I'm a big Raptor fan. So, uh, so you know, people remember that stuff. I, you know, I don't know if they ever remember anything intelligent that I say or uh, talking about a screen assist or how they attack the zone or uh, whatever, uh, or, you know, a play call out of a timeout, the whys, the hows. Uh, people remember the goofy stuff, the fun stuff too. So, hey, whatever it takes. <laughs> hey, Jack, for a, don't for a second think that you are not contributing to our community because, in fact, your get that garbage out of here became the slogan for the Toronto's public service announcement commercial urging residents to recycle properly. You know, it was funny. That was a great campaign. It was a, I'll never forget. Uh, we're, we're playing uh, a game and uh, layup line and Kyle Lowry walks right up to me. He says, you know, I went to the movies last night uh, with my wife and I can't get away from you. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes in the movie theater before the movie started. You know how they have those little uh, 10 second uh, buy popcorn and buy Coca-Cola and all that. They had the PSA, the public service announcement about recycling, and here I am up on the screen in the movie theater. So uh, it was very funny. No, they, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a fun, fun thing. I give the city of Toronto a lot of credit. Uh, it was television ads and, and obviously the internet and radio ads to uh, to get people really focused on on, on something that's incredibly important. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, that was brilliant on their part to say, hey, let's tie this all together and do this. So hopefully we'll do it again someday. You were born John Joseph. How come we don't call you JJ? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. All three of my sons, I gave them my middle name. Uh, so it's Kevin, Joseph, Brian, Joseph, Timothy, Joseph. Uh, my mother calls me John to this day because uh, she says, oh, you were baptized John. You'll remain John. So uh, I'm John, and uh, but uh, only a few people call me John now, uh, you know, like older uh, Irish relatives and all that. But, uh, and obviously, uh, Jack is the nickname for John. Now, today you'll see uh, meet a kid that's named Jack, and they actually that's their name. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at uh, President Kennedy, uh, Jack Kennedy, uh, John F. Kennedy, but everyone called him, you know, a lot of people call him Jack Kennedy. So... Uh, uh, there was a radio show, I don't know, in the 30s or 40s, uh, Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. So at school, uh, my teachers used to always say, oh, here's Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. So uh, it just stuck. <laughs> Jack, are you still a marathon runner? Uh, I, have, I ran a half marathon uh, literally uh, two weeks ago. Uh, so I would say I'm a half marathon runner. I would, <laughs> I, I've run seven marathons, New York four times, Chicago twice, and Boston once. I have not run a marathon in quite a while, but I'm an avid runner. Like later on today here in Montreal, I'll get a run in, get back, shower, put the suit on, go to the arena. Uh, and I, honestly, my runs, uh, I listen to music, but it really prepares me uh, for the game. I kind of think through a lot of the strategies, and I, I think through – the opposing team and each player and kind of my thoughts on each guy and, and the Raptors, the same thing. So you kind of 
it's a time, quiet time away where there's no text messages and emails and all that. So I run, I, I literally run every day. If I'm not running uh, on a day, that means I'm probably playing tennis that day. Um, you know, but I, I ran, literally ran a half marathon two weeks ago. So I, I love it. Uh, and people say, well, aren't your knees bothering you and all that? I think as you get older, uh, you know, you have some aches and pains. But I kind of like that because, uh, you know, what's uh, – uh, I'd rather burn out than rust out, right? And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, to me, I'm, I'm going to do it as long as I can do it. It's some great me time. Yeah. Another uh, Toronto legend. He has appeared on this very podcast, Chuck Swirsky. What's your relationship like with him today? Do you keep in touch? And uh, another great Toronto legendary broadcaster. Yes. Oh, I stay in touch with Chuck. I was with Chuck a few weeks ago in New York at the NBA broadcast meeting. So... We spent a lot of time together. Chuck has a book coming out uh, in, in, in the next few weeks. Uh, it's been a pleasure. That's the name of the book. Uh, so I'll see Chuck in a few weeks. We play the Chicago Bulls in early November, so I'll, I'll be with Chuck in a few weeks. Yeah, so we will uh, call or text each other. Uh, you, know, you know, probably during the off season, I probably spoke to Chuck four or five times, like once a month, once every five weeks or so, and. Uh, yeah, and then during the season, our pads are – it's crazy. But, uh, you know, a lot of times he'll call me and say, hey, what do you think of this player, that player, or that team? You, you guys just played them. We're about to play them. Or I'll do the same thing with him and say, hey, uh, we have a few games coming up. I haven't seen these guys in person yet. You guys played them. You know, what, give me a few thoughts. So uh, he's, he's great. And uh, he, he, I tell you what, he did a lot for the growth of basketball in Canada. And uh, in, in the you know the infancy of the Raptors, the infancy of the NBA in Canada, his enthusiasm and you know uh, Vince Carter, obviously Air Canada and Vince Sanity and all that. Uh, Chuck was your classic guy uh, that met the moment and did a wonderful job. I had a, a tremendous ten years uh, working with him, and I've had a tremendous fifteen years working now. This is my fifteenth season with Matt. Mm. And uh, they're both pros. They're both wonderful guys. And I would call both of them uh, very close friends. Jack, you are on the memo network of personalized greetings and videos. I want to ask you how that's working out <laughs> and how you've enjoyed that experience. I do both, actually. I do memo and cameo. I, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I had someone say to me, hey, I'd like you to do this. And I'm like, what is this? This is corny. This is... And then you do it and you run into people. And they thank you and say, wow, that was a lot of fun. They got a lot of laughs. Or sometimes people will reach out to you and ask you uh, to you know, pick somebody up that was going through a difficult time. Or So it's actually a pretty remarkable way to connect with fans. And in some ways, in a, a fun way. And in other ways, it's uh, to add to uh, or help someone uh, feel a little better that day that is going through a tough time or someone that's in the hospital or whatever. So uh, actually, I, I really i am glad I've done it, and I'm glad I am doing it because um, people, the reaction I get from people who have, have gotten one or gotten one for a, a family, family member or family friend, uh, it's been really positive. So I'm, I'm glad I'm able to do it. It's amazing the technology and the social media and the world we're in that you can have that direct contact with, with fans. It's really 
Amazing. Sure is. I want to ask Jack, after Raptor games, do you hang around to catch Leaf games? Or do you hurry back across the border to watch your Buffalo Sabres? Uh, I used to be a Sabres season ticket holder. Now my kids are all grown up. Uh, you know, I just, I'll get to a few games here and there. And quite frankly, the Sabres was so bad, you couldn't give tickets away. Uh, but now they're starting to become respectable again, which is good. Uh, I've been to a few Leaf games. Honestly, uh, on a on a night off, particularly in Toronto, if I go to a Leaf game, uh, you know, the, the ability to actually sit and watch the game versus, uh, you know, people wanting a picture or whatever, and that's fine. I enjoy doing that, and I'm always welcome to anyone ever walking up to me, and I'm happy to share my time with anybody. There are nights I just enjoy watching a game on television or going out to dinner or relaxing. But yeah, no, I I, I, I love hockey, and uh, I used to go regularly to the Sabre games on nights off whenever I had one, and uh, I hope to go a few times again this year. And I, you know, I think the Leafs have a chance to be really good, and I think the Sabres are heading back in the right direction again. It is uh, it's a great time of the year, hockey and basketball. Is this the year, though, for the Buffalo Bills? I hope so. You know, obviously we're chatting on a Friday and uh, I'm in Montreal and this Sunday they play the Kansas City Chiefs in a big game. Big one. You know, but it's only the sixth game of the season. So whether if the Bills win it, uh, that doesn't guarantee anything. If they lose it, it doesn't guarantee anything. What's going to really matter is if they make uh, uh, they play against each other in the playoffs and who has home field. And, uh, you know, so the importance of a game like Sunday is is more about home field than anything else. Uh, because I think they're the two best teams I've seen so far in the AFC and probably two of the best teams in the, in the NFL. Um, but, you know, it's, it, you know, to play at home versus having to play on the road makes a difference uh, in, ter- in, in competitive value in the NFL. Uh, but when I, when I, when I look at uh, their team, I think uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done a phenomenal job. They've built something really strong. Um, you know, the Bills, uh, you know, kind of couldn't get out of their own way for a while. And I give those two guys a ton of credit. And they've, they've been bold in terms of some of the player acquisitions they've made. And, uh, you know, bet, bet on a guy like Josh Allen. Uh, and it's worked out great for them. But I, I think they've brought in good, high-character guys. And they, they've done a great job. So whether they win Sunday or lose Sunday, I won't feel any different. Well, it's going to be a great game, and they are preparing the Josh Allen statue. It's 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 going to be unveiled if he can pull them through. Another guy who should get a statue, Vince Carter. I believe your first game was his first game, or certainly both of your first yes. seasons. Yeah, my first game as an NBA broadcaster, and Chuck Swirsky, both of us, uh, was Vince's first game uh, for the Raptors, and we played at Boston against the Celtics. And that was Paul Pierce's first game as well. Paul's now in the Hall of Fame. And I coached against Paul when he was at Kansas uh, with the Jayhawks for Roy Williams. And uh, so uh, to be there to see, uh, you know, and Vince will be in the Hall of Fame soon, uh, to see those two guys start their journey and, uh, you know, to look uh, at how great careers both of them had, it's, it's been fun. So, yeah, that was my first game. And I'll never forget being in the press room in uh, Boston and I just went in to grab a bite to eat. And um, here is Tommy Heinsohn, uh, Cedric Maxwell, uh, Bob Cousy, and Mike Gorman. 
Uh, Mike still calls the games, and Cedric does radio. But you think about sitting with Cousy, Heinsohn, and Cornbread Maxwell, and, and Mike Gorman, who's a Hall of Famer, legend in New England. Uh, Mike obviously used to do a lot of college basketball, so I knew Mike. And say, hey, sit down. And, you know, you got a guy like Tommy Heinsohn go, all right, coach, tell me about your team. I'm like, you know, I, I, I haven't even called an NBA game yet. It's not my team, you know. Yeah. But I'm like, wow, welcome to the NBA. And you're starting off in, in obviously uh, an incredible place with the parquet floor and all that. So uh, I'll never forget that night. And, um, you know, it, it was just an uh, incredible experience to, to have that. And then the next night, I think we played at Washington. And right after the game, boom, I'm on a, a plane uh, to do a college game the next day. And then meeting the Raptors the following day. So uh, to my point about it just you got to get as many reps as you can, and that helps you get good at what you do. I hope I'm good. <laughs> well, yeah, you are, and what a great way to start your career, Jack. You've said that traveling with Vince Carter was like traveling with the Beatles. Yes, definitely. Uh, I can remember uh, getting into Chicago uh, late uh, after a game. I don't know where we were coming from, and it was probably two o'clock in the morning, one two o'clock in the morning, and the. Uh, outside of the hotel was an incredible mob scene of people that all wanted to catch a glimpse of Vince Carter and, uh, you know, all the great dunks. And, um, you know, particularly after he won the dunk contest, the whole thing just blew up. And that was, if you remember, that was right after Michael Jordan had retired. And then Michael came back and played with the Wizards for a few years. But, uh, you know, and the fact that Vince went to Carolina, and that's where Michael played, Dean Smith, um, I think there were a lot of comparisons drawn. Then you think of the dunk he had on Fred McVice in the Olympics. And uh, so it was just one of those things where it really, uh, uh, it was remarkable. Uh, whether I don't, you know, whoever traveling with Drake or traveling with the Beatles or whatever, it's, uh, it's it, so the, the intensity around him uh, was, was, and I thought he handled it uh, quite well uh, with a lot of grace and with a lot of humor. And, uh, you know, things didn't end great in Toronto. Uh, but Vince is a good guy. I like Vince. Well, I think, as you mentioned, there were up and down times in the way people have perceived him. But I think now that some time has passed and we, we look back with a little more clarity, I personally think greatest Raptor ever. And I think he's, in a way, underappreciated. And now, as you say, starting to be more appreciated for what he did for the city and what he went through is incredible. Well, that's a whole other topic uh, in terms of uh, comparing him or Kyle Lowry or Kawhi Leonard or Chris Bosh or Tracy McGrady or, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Antonio Davis. Uh, uh, but Vince, uh, in terms of impact on the growth of the sport, there's a big reason why Toronto still has an NBA franchise. And I think he put them on the map. You know, and, and unfortunately, we lost Vancouver. It's funny. We, I was out to dinner last night here in Montreal. I really feel now that uh, Vancouver and Montreal in their current state could both have NBA teams. Now, will that happen? It's going to be difficult. But I think basketball has grown to the point in Canada now where, uh, you know, you have like three markets that could support uh, an NBA team, whereas, you know, Thankfully, Toronto survived and Vancouver didn't. But a big reason why is that we had Vince Carter. And uh, he, he brought in a lot of casual fans and kind of piqued people's interest in the sport 
in, in our, our league. So, uh, you know, in, in that respect, I can't thank Vince enough because he really helped put basketball on the map in Canada and in Southern Ontario. Absolutely. 100%. Now, Jack, the internet, as you know, it's a source of good. It's a source of bad. We like to play internet true or false. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give you a few. Jack Armstrong, you played against Chris Mullen. Internet true or internet false? Uh, true. I played against Chris from the time I was seven years old. And when you're a young guy, you, you realize quickly that one guy is really special and has a chance to go somewhere with it. And that was him. And I was a lousy player and got my ass kicked by him. So, yes, I played many <laughs> times against Chris Mullen. And uh, he was, and, you know, Chris is a great guy. And uh, I still see him to this day. He does, uh, he's a broadcaster with the Warriors, does some post-game, pre-game for them. And obviously was a great player in the league. He's a Hall of Famer. He was an uh, executive with the Warriors. He was the head coach at St. John's University. So I know him and his family very well. Your mother served Stefan Marbury as a cafeteria worker at PS 238. Internet true or false? No, true. Yeah, absolutely. She <laughs> served breakfast and lunch to the Marbury kids. Uh, yep. And I would see Steph and uh, he knew, you know, who my mom was. He, you know, so we'd always, uh, when we played the, you know, when he was in the, in the league with Minnesota and the, and the Knicks and, the, you know, the Nets. Uh, yes. So he's a, he's a Brooklyn legend, uh, Stefan Marbury. <laughs> Uh, Lincoln High School and uh, a great, great player. Well, apparently you are not just a basketball host. You also hosted a comedy show at Caroline's on Broadway in New York City. Internet true or false? Uh, it's true. And it was my first experience with it. And it was uh, it was really fun. Uh, and obviously Caroline's is a famous comedy club in New York City. And you say, oh, my goodness. What do they say? For every bright light that shines on Broadway... Uh, there's a thousand broken lights. Uh, so I guess I got to shine my one, my light for one night, at least on Broadway, and I didn't bomb. Uh, so uh, it worked out well. It was a fun night, and uh, the, the reaction was good. And obviously, I was just the host and uh, introducing comedians. I did about seven or eight minutes of stand-up in the beginning, kind of just my own little shtick and uh, a few little jams here and there going from one act to the next, but uh, I had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, you know, you, you spend time with comedians. Uh, they love what they do, you know, and uh, I just, for me, when I have an opportunity to spend time with people that do something different than what I do for a living, I'm always fascinated and intrigued by that. And uh, spending time with comedians and musicians and uh, people in all different walks of life, uh, it's inspiring and, and very joyful for me. Absolutely. Well, that's certainly why I do this. I love to talk to different people and the personalities, always great stories. Jack, apparently you won your assistant coach job at Niagara University over none other than Jeff Van Gundy. Internet true or false? It's true. Uh, Jeff and I were the finalists for the Niagara assistant job when I was an assistant at Fordham. And Jeff's brother, Stan Van Gundy, who obviously coached, I think he's been a head coach at four different NBA teams. Stan and I were assistants together at Fordham. So um, it was pretty amazing that, uh, you know, he, you know, you, you end up, uh, we were both the finalists and I ended up getting the job. And then uh, Jeff got hired as an assistant at Rutgers. So probably, well, I don't know what it would have been, uh, two years later, I became the head coach at Niagara. 
So Jeff Van Gundy called me up and he said, hey, congratulations, you blank and blank. That would have been me uh, being a head, Division One head coach. And then uh, a number of years later, when he got the Nick job, uh, you know, I called him up and said, hey, congratulations. You know, if I had taken your path and you took mine, I would have been the head coach of the Knicks, you know. So uh, it all works out in the end. But, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, the Van Gundy brothers, Jeff and Stan, and their father, Bill, is a great basketball man. Their dad, I recruited a player of his when he was the head coach at Genesee Community College. And uh, they're a wonderful family and um, very passionate about the game. And Jeff has become – uh, an outstanding analyst and Stan uh, now that he's kind of embraced this is a, a lot of fun to listen to as well. Herbie Kuhn uh, is the longtime Raptors public address announcer, but he may be better known as Canada's most famous chaplain. Internet true or false? Yes, Herbie is a, a chaplain and uh, has a great relationship with so many players around the league. Uh, well, well liked, well received. Um, and, you know, Herbie's been there since day one. You know, you have uh, – there aren't that many people left uh, that have been around the Raptors since day one. Herbie and, and then obviously the Raptor, uh, my, my colleague Leo Routens. Um, uh, Paul Jones has been in and out but been there from the beginning. Uh, obviously, he had a great career as an educator as well. Uh, but, you know, there aren't that many around that have been there from the beginning. Uh, but Herbie's voice and uh, the in-arena experience, him and the Raptor, really make it a special thing. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for Herbie. I can't reveal the actual name of the Raptor, but I, I, can, I can assure you that he has been in that costume since day one. As a, wow. And, and both of those guys add a lot to the experience of going to a Raptor game. That is great. Well, it's it's crazy to think uh, there's two guys around since day one and uh, public address announcer and the, the Raptor. Jack, I got one more for you here. You, as you mentioned, your parents were Irish immigrants, but your parents didn't know each other in Ireland. They actually met here at a dance in the Bronx. Internet true or false? That's true. Yeah, my parents uh, uh, did not know each other in Ireland. And people just automatically, you know, like, like, uh, for example, Pascal Siakam was asked, you know, you must know Christian Coloco. You're from the same. You know, he goes, it's a big place. You know, <laughs> I mean, well, you know, like people, the, the, people say, well, you're from New York. There's seven, eight million people in New York. I, I don't know everybody in New York, nor do they know me. And um, so, yes, uh, they they met in, in New York. And, um, yeah, my dad uh, was a. Uh, Worked for a and supermarket. My mother was a nanny for a family in Connecticut. She lived in the Bronx. You know, so uh, it's it's just, it's an amazing story where, uh, you know, and you see that a lot with immigrants. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I think Canada is a great place because it's very welcoming. Uh, I think our fan base, the diversity is awesome and off the charts. And to meet so many Canadians that have just gotten to Canada, or our first generation, uh, you know, it's a, it's a multicultural, uh, cultural mosaic. You go to a Raptor game, it's almost like you're at the United Nations. It's really cool. And, you know, it's, and I think it's part of uh, why our sport keeps growing. I think people come from all over the world and they don't know anything about hockey, but they know basketball and they know soccer. 
because uh, they're two of the bigger worldwide sports that people play across the globe. And I think uh, it's helped us connect with new Canadians uh, that, you know, they uh, kind of are, are tied into our sport. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're able to connect with uh, the great thing now for me, in my 25th year, you, know, you, you, you talk to grandparents, you talk to parents, you talk to kids. Uh, you've been part of, of, of families now, uh, three different gener- you know, three generations of it. So uh, I'm really pl- proud of that, uh, helping grow it. Well, in addition to your 25th big year coming up, you also have a big personal milestone. Any plans for the big 6-0 in January? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know, but I'll ask my wife. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I know we don't have a Raptor game that night, so that's a good thing. So uh, I haven't really gotten in too much into that yet in terms of thinking about it. I do think, though, that when you have milestone birthdays and, you know, I've had my 30th and 40th and 50th and 60th will be coming up. I do think you, you look at those moments uh, or, or as you approach those moments with gratitude and appreciation uh, for all that you have. And um, I, each day going forward, I think as I get closer to it, I'm sure – uh, I'll reflect that much more on my life, of what's happened in my life and where I've been and hopefully maybe where I want to go. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a great season for so many reasons. Jack, you've been so generous with your time. I would be remiss if I did not ask. The season opens Wednesday as the Raps host the Cleveland Cavaliers. What is your feeling about our 2022-2023 Toronto Raptors? I'm excited. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stability. Uh, there's a you know tremendous amount of guys returning from last year. Team was really good. If you look at the record from uh, the new year on, uh, they were winning 65% of their games. So uh, they were trending in the right direction. And I feel like if they can build off of that momentum, they'll be right in the thick of the Eastern Conference race. So the Eastern Conference is going to be incredibly difficult in the top 10 teams. And you can say the same thing for the West. But I feel like going into any game this year, I feel very confident that if the Raptors play to their capability, they can play with and beat any team in the league. And on the other side, uh, respectfully, uh, you know, that the margin of error is still to, to the degree of uh, if you play someone and don't play well that night, uh, you know, you're not that team that can just roll in and out-talent out people. You got to do the little things. So, as long as this group continues to play defense as hard as they play and run the ball with efficiency, and if they improve a little bit in their half-court uh, execution and, and three-point shooting, I think they could be a really fun team. Scotty Barnes, sky is the limit? Uh, I hope so. Uh, but, you know, I, I, again, I've been around. I've seen Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Chris Bosh, uh, DeMar DeRozan, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's a tough path. And with social media today, uh, the hype is too much. Uh, I hope that he has a really nice second year in the league and he's going to have successes. He's going to have failure. And let's not get too high when he gets, when he has a big night. And let's not get too low when he struggles. And he's going to have both. Uh, but I, I like what I see from him. He strikes me as a very dedicated, uh, mature kid uh, who, who wants to be very good. And I think given time and given space, 
to go through the ups and downs. I think he's going to end up being a very, very good player. He has it. And that's yep. when I see a guy and I look and I go, that guy's got it. He has it. Now it's a matter of how long does it take for that to come out? Um, it yep. comes out in glimpses. Uh, he had a great rookie year. He's a rookie of the year. Nonetheless, there's a long way to go. I'm looking forward to seeing his development this year. Jack, where can we best follow you and Raptors basketball? Well, TSN, obviously, and, and NBA TV, and uh, obviously I appear a lot on TSN radio, and all that fun stuff. So uh, I think if you're a basketball fan, you'll know where to find me. <laughs> Absolutely. And on, and on a personal level, are you active on social media? Do you like people to follow uh, yeah, you hello, anywhere? Jack. Uh, I think it's hello, Jack, on Twitter, Instagram, all that. But uh, I wouldn't say I'm very active on it, but I'm active enough. Great. Well, Jack, thank you so much for your time, especially while you're on this road trip. Good luck with this final preseason game in Montreal. We look forward to a great season ahead and continued success to you. My pleasure, Andrew. All the best. Thank you. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Jack Armstrong, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.